Welcome to BIV Today, where the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. Today, our program is going to focus on this morning's decision by the Federal Court of Appeal, a decision that has some implications, of course, for the Kinder Morgan Project. Well, the Kinder Morgan Project that is actually now owned by the Canadian taxpayer, the twinning of the Trans Mountain Pipeline uh, that stretches from Edmonton into Burnaby. Uh, We're going to take a look at this from a variety of uh, focuses today. We're going to start, though, with Catherine Harrison of the University of British Columbia. Kinder Morgan Canada shareholders have approved the sale of the Trans Mountain Pipeline and Expansion Project to Ottawa for $4.5 billion. This comes literally moments after the Federal Court of Appeal dealt the project a major setback. With us to discuss all the fallout on this decision, it's Catherine Harrison, political science professor at the University of BC. Catherine, thanks for joining us on the show. Great to talk to you once again. My pleasure. What do you think this uh, Federal Court of Appeal decision says about the process? The process of approving. I think it's saying that we haven't got it right yet. Um, the the decision is critical both of the National Energy Board for um, adopting a scope for its review that was too narrow, and because they didn't consider the tanker traffic, they didn't consider the impact on endangered orca whales, and concluded too easily that there weren't significant impacts. So critical of the NEB, but also critical of cabinet itself and um, the government's failure to discharge its duty to meaningfully consult with First Nations. And there, you know, I think Canada is a country that, a, a settler country where Europeans came and started exploiting the natural resources on unceded First Nations territory, and we are only beginning to grapple with what does it mean to meaningfully consult and respect the constitutional rights of First Nations. I think this decision by the Federal Court of Appeal today tells us we haven't got it right yet. There's a, been so much evolution of this issue, uh, and and one of them has been the fact that Justin Trudeau's government has uh, sent new mandates and, re, and, and has started to reshape the National Energy Board. Uh, does that basically get the process different next time around? Well, that's that's a very important question. The the court has nullified the existing cert- certificate, has quashed the um, federal cabinet's approval of the pipeline. Um, the Trudeau government itself had established new conditions under the existing act for approval of Energy East, although that was then withdrawn, and now is moving forward with um, new environmental assessment legislation, creating a new agency. So the question is, do they wait to get that up and running before rebooting the aspects that need to be redone, um, or do they undertake um, sort of stopgap measures within the existing process that the, the Trudeau government themselves have um, declared to be flawed in pursuing significant legislative reform. It would look unusual for a government that has uh, said that it is committed to this change, and the courts have said the change, you know, the change effectively might be necessary, even in this case, uh, to, well, to then do a stopgap move. Yeah, I would think so. The court said that there were flawed flaws in 
um, NEB's interpretation of its existing mandate and of the um, cabinet or so-called governor and council's interpretation of their constitutional obligations. So mm -hmm. the court's decision doesn't require that the new legislation be in place, but it does it seems like it would be very strange for a government that's in the process of changing the law and the institutions to say, just, you know, we need one more do over under yeah. the old rules before we move forward with something we we've told you will be better. But the, but to be clear, the mandate might be okay. Uh, according to the courts, it's just the interpretation wasn't right. Yes. Mm -hmm. That the NEB interpreted its mandate too narrowly and the um, the government, the, the cabinet, in undertaking so-called phase three consultations with First Nations did so um, too narrowly, that they took notes rather than engaging in two-way consultations and assumed that also um, made a flawed assumption that they could not impose additional conditions beyond those already proposed by the NEB. So in order to prevent maybe another situation like this unfolding in the future, are, are we going to have to essentially blow up that phase three consultation process as we know it? Are we going to have to go back to the drawing board even further down the line and, and rethink the way things were approached in order to prevent something similar from happening again? Um, this this is a new area for me, and um, I've just quite quickly read those sections of the decision. So this is a very preliminary thought. But um the what what I'm struck by is that the federal government was sending very well-intentioned people, and, and the court acknowledges that they were respectful and well-intentioned to meet with First Nations, and that those um, those representatives of the government took notes and relayed everything that they had heard to the minister and and to cabinet as a whole. What it sounds like to me is that if cabinet is going to engage in the kind of two-way consultations that the that the court of appeal is calling for, they'd need to send someone a lot more serious, someone who is authorized to um, to engage in back and forth uh, accommodations with First Nations or to undertake um, additional meetings beyond the first one that involves listening and taking notes. So moving forward at this point, do we even have an idea about how much, say, costs would be going up, how much of a time frame it's going to be before we have construction resuming on a project like this? Um, I don't think we do. Uh, a lot depends on what the government proposes to do. Do they want to redo the consultations, remit the um, the review to NEB and ask them to look at the tanker traffic and impacts on ORCAs? Or do they want to wait until um, the new legislation is in place and the new agency is in place and, and have a do-over then? So that's one source of delay. The other thing we don't know, at least that I've seen, is whether the um, federal government is going to seek leave to appeal the decision to the Supreme yeah. Court. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that depends whether the Supreme Court allows the appeal. And, and if so, that could add another couple of years. Um, in the meantime, my understanding is that the next phase of construction should not proceed because the pipeline no longer has um, the required certificate. Yeah. It, it can't really do both at the same time, though, can it, Catherine? It, it can't um, seek leave to appeal and also then begin a new round of consultations. It almost has to make a choice, doesn't it? Um, I mean, I guess there's the, the, the legal issue, the legal question and the political question. I think yeah. they could 
do both if the federal government is arguing um, you know something about the the legal interpretations um, even while they're saying you know they you know in theory they could um, cover themselves by doing both at the same time I don't know what they'll do mm. and of course it's all complicated by the fact that um, the government itself is about to become owners of the pipeline yeah no that, that was a, a pretty quick meeting today I'm still trying to figure out who are the three percent that voted against selling? I, I, they must have had some sort of grudge. Yeah, someone, someone, no, someone or maybe uh, they just didn't understand the ballot. Yeah, yeah some, someone forgot to put up a hand. It was just, uh, yeah. but, uh, Oops, they were too late. To, wait, wait, know, wait! Voted at the wrong time. Sell <laughs> my shares too. Um, the let's look at the political consequences here. So, mm-hmm. where does Justin Trudeau emerge from this today? I mean, this is this is a. <laughs> pretty significant um, uh, indictment of some of the policies of Trudeau's government. Um, Mr. Trudeau has stated time and again that one of his first priorities is reconciliation with Canada's First Nations, and he has been rebuked by the court for not undertaking meaningful two-way dialogue. So that's a a first um, first, uh, uh, pushback. Um, a second one is, of course, you know, he's just <laughs> undertaken to purchase a pipeline that no longer has a valid permit from his own government, and and thus looks like a kind of lemon purchase of, of many billions of dollars of taxpayers' money. And and I think also there's a, a challenge to Justin Trudeau's credibility. Um, he has said repeatedly, this pipeline will be built, as has um, the Premier of Alberta, Rachel Notley. And although, you know, it may, it may, that's looking like um, a lot of bravado at the moment. And given, you know, a, you know, other statements that Mr. Trudeau has made, this will be the last election in Canada held under a first-past-the-post system, that sort of thing. I think a number of those um, overly confident statements may come back to haunt him in the 2019 election. Because regardless, if the project proceeds, it's now going to be a much more expensive project. It's going to be a project likely delayed by two, three years now. Uh, in order to gain the necessary uh, certificate, um, you you talk about it today as a as a lemon. It could also be a white elephant. Yeah, no, it really could, and and that that always could have been the case right. because much depends on the business case for this pipeline at a time when the countries of the world have committed to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. When they reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, carbon in, Oil that is carbon intensive to produce and expensive to produce, which is pretty much the definition of Canada's bitumen, um, would be expected to be among the first to go. So our exports are vulnerable at a time of international climate action. And how, how viable this pipeline will be and how long depends on those international commitments. Um, so it could have been a white elephant anyway. The difference is that it may now be a white elephant owned by taxpayers. If uh, Premier John Horgan had some sort of crystal ball and known what would have uh, come out of this, could he have avoided a lot of, I guess, political damage to himself earlier on this year when we had a lot of, I don't know, trade wars between uh, Alberta and British Columbia unfolding? What is this going to mean for the Premier moving forward? Um, I think, you know, I think this is, although 
my understanding of the decision is that the court gave pretty short shrift to BC's intervention. So mm-hmm. this was not decided based on BC's argument. But I do think Premier Horgan comes out looking good today. He, um, This is a, a win for his um, his government's position in opposition to the pipeline, um, his um, framing of of the government's position as protecting the coast is consistent with the Court of Appeals' emphasis on the need to consider the potential impact of tanker traffic. Um, I don't think he could have avoided um, doing what he did, given the position that the NDP took and that their Green Partners took in the last election. Um, so, you know, it's a He's still pursuing a constitutional reference, and that case will still be proceeding regardless of um, the decision today and any potential Supreme Court um, appeal. I'm going to try to play political spin doctor here for just a few seconds. Uh, Is it possible that Justin Trudeau emerges from this okay, though, when he basically says, hey, we gave it the college try. Um, The courts are the courts. And, uh, you know, they're the ones that uh, that ultimately uh, uh, can, can define this. Um, I, I think that's what he will say, of course. Um, I think that his critics will not leave it at that, though. Mm-hmm. And um, in in finding that the phase three consultations were deficient, the court is criticizing not just the NEB, but Justin Trudeau's government. Yeah, this, isn't a, Stephen, this isn't a Stephen Harper government thing. This no, is they're Justin criticizing Trudeau. Yeah. Trudeau and his cabinet for failing to undertake meaningful two-way dialogue with concerned First Nations. And again, this is a prime minister who said that that is one of his top priorities. So I think it's it's harder for him to say, you know, my hands were tied, I couldn't do anything, when one of the court's findings is that the failure to meaningfully consult with First Nations lay with Trudeau's government. But the only critics that will have credibility in this case will be the NDP, the Conservatives probably would have had a, a phase three quite similar. Well, but they don't have to say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> they could say, we would have done it right. What's oh, wrong they, with you? Oh, oh really? Um, and okay. I, I assume they will. Hmm. Um, so, well, you know, we don't know what they would have done, and that is to their advantage at this point. Maybe the real winner is going to be Maxime Bernier's new party. We'll, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll have to find uh, out. Uh, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> or the orcas who, you know, yes. they start jumping around in uh, in the harbor. Absolutely. Hey, Catherine, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thanks for taking time. You're very welcome. That's Catherine Harrison, political science professor at the University of British Columbia. We continue our coverage today of the big TMX decision where the Federal Court of Appeal set up blow against the federal government and their pursuit of Kinder Morgan Pipeline uh, moving forward. And with us today, it's Stuart Muir. He's the Executive Director of Resource Works. Stuart, great to have you back on the show. Thank you. What's your interpretation of this today, Stuart? Well, I think the initial reaction from a lot of people was, oh no, this is, this is catastrophic for a project that is going to add value to a non-renewable Canadian resource, that is going to add a higher level of protection to the environment, that is going to enable a national climate plan. Uh, a disaster for those agendas. But I think as we start to read into it and see different uh, analysts coming forward with their views, to see the, uh, the in the last few minutes, the determination of the finance minister, Bill Morneau, in his statement, uh, just a bit of a sober reflection that, okay, what we've got here is the Federal Court of Appeal 
with two essentially pillars uh, that must be examined uh, that are very specific, somewhat narrow in nature. And the federal government now has the challenge to go back, do some more work, and then uh, go through the final part of the process again in order to secure the necessary approval to get the project done. Yet this delays the project, undoubtedly. Oh, yes. Uh, there's no no certificate today to build. Uh, we're looking probably at a year or two of consultations, do you think, with First Nations in order to uh, make it acceptable to the courts on what constitutes appropriate? Yeah, I think that's a, a safe uh, bet that it's at least a year, a couple of years. You look at all of the... Uh, the glue that could be thrown into the, the gears of this to further slow it down. There's always that potential too, not just the steps that have been outlined by the court. In addition to that, I mean, we're looking at costs that are going to be going up for a project that's going to be delayed as well. Do you think that this example is going to be used I don't know, in the future as something for major infrastructure projects where we're going to have to have this two-way consultation with First Nations groups that, that it's going to be, I guess, a lot more in-depth than what we've seen, even with best intentions here in Canada. Yeah, I, yeah, I think in 2016, the federal government had a real wake-up call from the, the Northern Gateway pipeline process when we had a court ruling saying that one of the phases of consultation was not properly done by the feds. And the takeaway for the feds at that time was, okay, we're not going to do anything about it. We're just going to not challenge that uh, project's dead. And that was a political decision by the new prime minister at that time, Pierre, uh, who, who uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, who uh, just tabled the whole project. Um, in this case, it's a similar uh, type of consultation, a uh, phase three, which is really quite uh, uh, similar in terms of Aboriginal uh, consultation, getting people into a room, uh, finding out what the issues are, and in the final page of the ruling today, if you read that, you can see the federal court said, this needn't be a lengthy or difficult process. We can certainly see you being able to go through this in a, in a fairly rapid, orderly way to get to the place you need to be in order to meet your own legal requirements for, for this. But in reading uh, that part of the, of the judgment today, uh, what of course remains unclear is what is the threshold? Uh, I mean, obviously, note-taking uh, by a senior bureaucrat's not good enough. Um, discussing it with cabinets, not not good enough. What what do you think the court is saying here on what is good enough? Well, I, I don't think they're necessarily defining that. And, and, you know, I think it's easy to overlook the fact that a, a far greater number of First Nations are actually in support of the project than are against. Uh, yeah. too, too often, I think the quick take uh, in, in the, the heat of deadlines is for media to report that, you know, First Nations have won. Well, actually, today, First Nations have lost enormously, enormous number of First Nations and, and members of First Nations have lost the pathway out of poverty that they want, all because I would say, uh, to a great degree, we have uh, California-funded uh, environmental activists for interests that have nothing to do with Canadian a success that are wagging the dog here because they're able to fund these massively expensive lawsuits to bring in a couple of First Nations that that do, I'm sure, genuinely, uh, you know, embrace the values that they have. But let's let's be clear: this is not all First Nations, and let's let's be respectful to First Nations and not pretend that there is somehow 100 uh, percent consent or opposition on any issue by First Nations in this country. They're yeah. just like the, everyone, everyone else. I mean, it's fair to say that some of the um, the activism and the court proceedings were funded uh, from abroad. But in the end, the courts were persuaded 
the court has been persuaded in this case here. Um, so what, what do we make of what the government needs to do in order to assuage any further court challenge in this case? Yeah, well, we've had uh, in the last few minutes, we've had Bill Morneau, the finance minister, come forward with a, a clear statement of determination to get the project done, to do what's necessary. So you can know that there will be the necessary bureaucratic bureaucratic wheels turning in Ottawa to uh, do that work. Um, you know, I would think it looks like there's two tracks right now. Is it an appeal of this decision? Is it uh, doing the things that the ruling says need to be done? Or is it both of those things? Yeah. Right now, I'm not clear on whether they should be or are uh, pursuing both tracks, uh, yeah. whether it's proper to both appeal and do what you're supposed to do. So that's a that's a bit of a wrinkle. I'm sure they're trying to get their heads around that too. You know, yeah. we haven't heard from Rachel Notley. Uh, I'm sure lots of people are watching her uh, her feed today to see when she's going to provide what will surely be a, a harsh statement, uh, a strong statement, um, because from her perspective, she's worked so hard to build that national climate pact that is already in in tatters. I think. This decision, however satisfying some environmentalists may claim it to be, it's actually terrible for the environment. It's terrible for global climate. It's terrible for um, the safety of Canadian river systems and salmon. So I, I think it's you know disgraceful that environmental groups claiming to stand up for the environment are saying this is a victory when actually it creates greater dangers to both climate and our waterways. If you flash back a few months, you know, Canada was facing a lot of criticism about why would this be a jurisdiction that people would want to invest in at this point, uh, international investment money going here, where you essentially have to nationalize a pipeline in order to get it done. Now we see this big setback again. Yeah. What does it really mean for, I guess, the future of business interest in Canada from abroad in putting dollars into Canada? Yeah, it, it means that it's not a place where right now, until this uncertainty is resolved, there will be anyone, you know, can you imagine someone making a presentation in a New York boardroom today saying, okay, look, I've got a project in Canada. We need a billion dollars. We'd like you to invest. We haven't got approval yet, but we would like to get your money. Can you imagine what those fund managers and, and portfolio people would be saying about that this morning in, in, in such a, a presentation? I, I'm sure they would be saying, well, uh, we think we're going to invest in uh, these these plays in the U.S. for now because we don't think you guys have your act together. You're not ready for investment. Unfortunately, Canada is not a country that's got a huge pool of native wealth that we can invest into projects. We're, we, we're not that kind of an economy. And therefore, we have to rely on foreign investment. And that's what drives job creation and the flows of, of revenue to government. So, you know, a decision like this is very consequential. And um, you know, there may be some, some people saying it's a great victory for the environment. I don't believe that it is. I, I really think it's a setback for the environment and the people of Canada. So, uh, yeah, I, I think already we've seen uh, companies, midsize, large companies, companies of all sizes in the energy space in Canada saying, hey, look, um, I'm going to be able to make a greater return on my capital if I just go down to Texas. And a lot of those assets are literally on wheels. They can drive them down to Texas. They can put their efforts and ingenuity and, and capital to work and make a far greater return. So uh, who wins from that? I, I don't know who wins from that. Uh, certainly not Canada. It's very clear that the Trudeau government uh, put its eggs into the into the kinder market basket, the trans mountain basket in this case. It's basically said, you know, if we can't build this this pipeline, we really can't build almost any pipeline in this country. Uh, does it start to look at Energy East again? Does it does it try to rekindle interest there? 
Oh yeah, it's very good for Energy East. It 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 also means that Line Three is a better proposition. Uh, I, I think it, it is very good for rail. You know, even though a lot of energy stocks were uh, hard hit today that have interest in the Canadian oil sands, uh, I, I did notice that CN and CP, the railroad companies, uh, had a little uptick. Whether it's because of this, it's hard to say. But it, definitely, we're going to be seeing more oil by rail. You know, I think the environmental groups have some accountability for the uh, dangers caused by that. Um, you know, th th this is this is uh, not the best way to get value nor safety from transporting energy. One of the great laws of, of uh, oil and gas of energy that I've learned covering this very closely the last few years is that oil always gets to market somehow. And Canadian oil will get to market. It's just whether Canadians get the greatest benefit for it and whether the environment is protected to the highest extent possible. And right now, we've, we've got uh, uh, some uncertainty on this question. Do, do these delays, though, do you think, Stuart, make this pipeline uneconomical? Um, that's always a possibility. And I'm sure there are uh, you know, some, some people hoping, I mean, that's really the strategy here, delay, 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 make it too expensive, and then the proponents go away. And um, I, I, I think the intrinsic value of the commodity is what makes it viable. And it's why the federal government felt it had to make the investment it did, because it's, it's so vital to the whole Canadian economy. And that's not going to change. It's, it's not going to change if there's a, a new windmill farm in Montana um, that, you know, we will still require uh, crude oil. It's our biggest export as a country. It creates the greatest trade surplus that allows us to have investment that creates jobs in the country. I mean, there's just, there's no replacement for it. Yes, of course, it has some uh, very serious negatives that have to be managed, but we're very good at managing these risks in this country to create the benefits that come from that. Well, Stuart, we're going to continue to monitor the fallout here. We'd like to talk to you again soon once things settle down. We've got a better picture of what the future is going to hold for the government and the decisions that need to be made. But for now, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me on. That's Stuart Muir, Executive Director of ResourceWorks. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Business in Vancouver. We are continuing our coverage of the big decision regarding the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion and the blow that the Federal Court of Appeal has just dealt to this project. Joining us today, it is George Hoberg. He is a professor at the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia. George, thanks for joining us on the show. Hi there. We can talk very strictly about public policy in this one and uh, and whether process uh, needs to be re-examined in all of this. What do you think the implications are of this of this ruling? Well, there's uh, an extraordinary number of implications. There's huge implications uh, for the project itself. Mm -hmm. uh, the Trudeau government is going to have to make a serious decision about whether or not it wants to continue with the expansion project. And if it does, how it's going to proceed. It also raises very big questions about the way we do regulation in Canada. Uh, and uh, the, we're in the middle of a period of major reform with Bill 69 and the creation of a new Canadian energy regulator to replace the National Energy Board. And we may want to rethink how we're doing that, too. Well, very specifically, I, I think there's some big implications about how we move forward on both this project and, and future projects with regards to consultation with Indigenous groups across Canada. What have we learned today that is really going to influence where we go from here? 
So I think the court actually significantly complicates the process. Uh, they keep saying that it's the, the standard is you have to consult and accommodate, but First Nations do not have a veto. If you interpret that um, demandingly enough, the requirement for consultation becomes very similar to a veto. And it strikes me that that's what's uh, happening uh, in this case and in the Northern Gateway cases. So yes. I guess well, one of the major things that we need to consider is for major infrastructure projects like this, if First Nations are not on board from the beginning, whether through their approval or through actual ownership, then you're not going to get the project done. Do you think that that means all First Nations? Because obviously a majority of First Nations bands in this case here have some tacit or direct support of the project. Um, does, does it mean well, every, kind of everyone gets yeah. support? Mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean when uh, most of those First Nations have not said they approve the pipeline? They've simply uh, agreed to uh, benefit from it economically if it goes forward. Uh, but uh, that you raise a very, very difficult and complicated question. If there are divisions among First Nations, uh, how do you uh, think about how to proceed? And I think it's time to really rethink how we do governance and better involve uh, First Nations in the process from the start so that they know uh, that they have an opportunity to lead. And if they, there are internal differences, they have a process to resolve them. We also have to wonder about what this means for, I guess, provincial relations. We saw BC and Alberta have a big fallout over this earlier this year. We also have big disagreements between the federal and provincial levels of how to pursue a project like this, especially when you look at the position of the current BC government versus Ottawa and our neighbor directly to the east of us. Where do we go from here with regards to these provincial and federal relations? In some ways, the court making this decision changes, it makes some of those relations clear in some part, it kind of depoliticizes the current D.C. Alberta concept, but puts it back again squarely uh, with the federal government and Alberta. Uh, Justin Trudeau really went to bat for this pipeline uh, in order to improve Rachel Notley's chances of success in the next election and to maintain his climate plan. And the court decision I mean, Notley was unlikely to win anyway, but it certainly makes it more unlikely. And it brings into question the future viability of the current approach to climate policy in the province, where uh, the federal government is uh, asking the provinces for agreement before going forward. Obviously, in this case here, the, the federal government is trying to keep the temperature down on this one today. And, and the finance minister is indicating that, of course, in proceeding, they recognize what the court is saying and that that are going to you know deal with consultations and obviously have to uh, examine the environmental impact in a very different way. Uh, is that, in your view, brave talk, hubris? Uh, uh, what 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 do you feel about um, a government that is essentially saying this is not uh, the end of this pipeline today? Well, it would be premature for him to say that, barely having a chance to read the ruling. I think we need several days for people to, legal experts, to comb through the ruling and think about its implications. 
But I would be surprised and quite disappointed if there were not, not a major rethink uh, by the federal cabinet. Uh, they may decide that it's best to stick with the plan, uh, but they certainly need to go back to the drawing board and look at the pros and cons uh, given this um, new decision. Well, in, you know, say, if I can also oh, yeah. talk about a, 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 a completely different kind of implication that is uh, quite of concern to me. Uh, this climate issue really is a, a huge crisis for humanity. And the environmental movement and the indigenous movement have chosen to block fossil fuel infrastructure as a, a new part of the strategy to try to address climate change. A lot of people disagree with that strategy, but in some ways it works. And this ruling gives that strategy some uh, legal ammunition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're getting really good at blocking dirty energy infrastructure, as the environmentalists would call it, what are we going to do about the clean energy infrastructure we need to replace it? And if we don't figure out how to get our regulatory house in order, where we can um, put forward projects that are in the broader public interest, even if they're opposed by certain local groups, we need to be able to proceed with projects like that. And the current regulatory process seems broken to me, and we need to rethink the way we do it so that we can foster social acceptance of the kind of technology that we really need. Do you think the court today is is saying that, in, in essence, that the path that Justin Trudeau's government is taking with regulatory reform at the National Energy Board might have something to it? Uh, please restate that. I got a little distracted. Yeah. Do you think that uh, the courts today are saying that uh, the process that is underway to reform the National Energy Board uh, through Bill C-69 is uh, is one that has merit? Well, it's certainly saying the regulatory process and the consultation process were not good enough here. I'm not sure uh, Bill 69 changes it enough to address those things. And that's mm-hmm. another thing that the government is going to have to uh, rethink. Maybe what the Federal Court of Appeals is telling us is it's not a good idea to build a diluted bitumen pipeline to the west coast of Canada. Well, do you That's anticipate? Just a, just a thought. And, well, on that note, though, do, do you anticipate that further infrastructure projects of this kind and of this scale, th- this ruling is going to de-incentivize them to pursue these sorts of projects? And perhaps, as you're putting forward, we'll see incentives for more of these clean energy products uh, that people may want to have. So if, um, I think it's inevitable that big new fossil fuel projects are going to attract significant opposition. And uh, so people who want to do that uh, will probably be discouraged by uh, this, this ruling. Again, if we want to move forward with big infrastructure projects like that, and if we don't have First Nations buy-in from the start, uh, it's going to be hard. You're at a school of public policy and global affairs, and I'm going to ask a global affairs question here of you. Uh, does, what does this do, do you think, to Canada internationally around investment, do you think? Uh, it, in the short term, might be a hit. Um, for those kind of mega projects. But again, I keep coming back to the same point. It's a signal that we need to change the way we do things on two fronts. 
One is you can't do big things like this without First Nations buying in Canada. And second, uh, it's doing the wrong kind of thing given the planetary emergency we have with climate change. And maybe uh, the Trudeau government and the rest of the Canadian political system uh, will uh, wake up to that fact and forge ahead with a new kind of model that gives a different, stronger role to First Nations and is uh, uh, progressive with respect to moving forward with renewable energy infrastructure. Uh, George, we anticipate this ruling. It's going to have long-lasting impacts and will really reshape a lot of the way that we approach these projects moving forward. We'd love to pick your brain further down the road, uh, but for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the program today. Been my pleasure. That's George Hober. He is a professor at the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia. That's it for the show today. Thank you for listening to BIV today. 